Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. Welcome again to Middle-Aged Warriors on the Believe Podcast Network. It's Rick Summers and my good friend Chris Cimino. And Chris, we have a very special guest today. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about uh, this guest because something, another fallout from obviously dealing with this pandemic is uh, restriction on travel. And boy, do we have a travel expert with us. The travel detective from CBS News. And of course, you and Chris go back to the days when you used to work on the Today Show together. Correct. We shared many a bagel in the green room there, yes. (laughs) And the voice you're going to hear, which you may have already noticed, is that of the travel detective, Peter Greenberg, who is uh, just a prince for being able to join us at late notice to talk about being a middle-aged warrior um, and certainly a warrior of the road. How many miles do you think you've traveled over the years, Peter? (laughs) Well, I think there are only about five people who have more miles than I do. Uh, I'm up at about 23 and a half million. Wow. Are those frequent flyer miles? Those are, those are all frequent flyer miles, yep. Oh so my you, goodness. You what do you do with those? You could cash in on a trip to Mars with those probably, right? <laughs> well, one no, way, you, one way. No, you could, you, in the old days, you could earn a trip to Mars, cashing them in, another problem. But <laughs> good, good point. But yeah, look, it's the most uh, beautifully genius marketing scheme of the, of the 20th century the frequent flyer program. However, it's been bastardized and destroyed because think about it. It was supposed to reward you for your loyalty Mm -hmm. and good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. But nowadays, especially. So Peter, how is middle age treating you as you're a middle age warrior and joining me and Chris on our podcast? Well, I have a very interesting answer. It's one word answer. It starts with a D denial. Of course. (laughs) I mean, why would I ever want to go there? I'll, I'll give you a good example. I'm still an active fireman. I've been a fireman oh. since, since I'm 18. I'm on duty three days a week, seven, seven months a week, seven months a year. Wow. And I've done that literally since I'm 18. So as long as they let me still re- respond and I pass the physicals and I'm holding the hose, I am, I'm, I'm in denial. And there you have it. So you've been a firefighter for a long time. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's part of being a part of a community. Uh, you know, 74% of all firefighters in America are volunteer and, and people don't know that. Uh, right. and, and it's all part of being a part of the community. Well, one, that's a, one thing we've discovered already in this interview about you that we didn't know before. Uh, but of course, you're well known for all of your travel expertise over the years. But in doing a little research before we get to the travel thing, I did discover that you were apparently a vice president of some television development for Paramount at one time. <laughs> now, when actually, was that? <laughs> well, I actually produced a lot of movies. Yeah. And then I went and ran television at Paramount. I developed a small little show there you might remember called MacGyver. Um, I then went on to MGM, where I did a show called 30-something. That's yeah. We shepherded that through the network. I remember network. that. Um, I'm still producing. I produce uh, three different shows for PBS right now. And then, of course, all my work still at CBS News. So the reason why the Paramount thing happened was I think they were looking for some credibility in the real world at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was the only person ever to make a deal like that where it was in my contract that I still had to be a journalist first. I still, they couldn't tell me I couldn't write and I couldn't report. So I was an executive at Paramount from Monday to Friday. And Friday afternoon, I was at the airport flying to Beirut for the weekend, you know, 
Um, wow. And that's how we made it work. So in terms of true passion, though, it, it, travel is still really what you enjoy doing the most or is it television or movie making and producing? It's neither. It's journalism. Okay. And, and so what I've done is I've applied all my investigative reporting techniques to the largest industry in the world, which mm -hmm. happens to be travel and tourism. People don't know that. It's 11% of global GDP. It's one out of every 10 jobs. And right before the pandemic, it was one out of every five new jobs. Good luck finding a new job now. But the point is, wow. that's how powerful it is. And as we're speaking today, there are about 93 countries that if they didn't have travel and tourism, because they're tourism-based economies, they'd have to fold up the tents. Mm -hmm. And those 93 countries right now are literally on the verge of folding up those tents. And their governments are on the verge of being destabilized because people literally, because there's no airflow, there's no airlift, there's no nobody staying in hotels, people can literally not put food on their tables. And so my concern is watching those 93 countries as they begin to almost disintegrate. Are we going to come back? Yeah, the question is when mm. and how. Mm -hmm. We are going to come back. Uh, leisure travel will drive it. Uh, it'll be folks who, like us who want to get back out. Business travel is on hold. Right. Uh, I, I mean, and, but I mean on hold, it's on lockdown. Because the lawyers are involved, everybody wants, you know, they're worried about liability, they're worried about guarantees, Me meetings and conventions, forget it, at least until 2023, maybe 2022 if you get lucky, but certainly not before then. Right. Uh, so it's going to be driven by leisure travel. But having said that, it's not going to come back in the absence of not a vaccine. Let's, we'll, I'll get to the vaccine part in a second. But it will not come back in the absence of widespread, reliable, rapid response testing. Mm -hmm. Once we get that, people will, will begin to get out. But until we get that, everybody who's hoping for a vaccine is somewhat delusional. Because right. even if we do get a vaccine, what's the one overriding lesson we learned from the movie Saving Private Ryan? Mm -hmm. You know what it was? Not a good idea to be in the first wave. Right. <laughs> <If anything>. uh, <laughs> and so you're going to have one third of the American public not even trusting the vaccine. Sure. One third waiting to see what's going on. And one third with the pillow guy hoping for the best, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so put that pillow, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. no but, but the bottom line is it's going to be widespread testing. That's going to be our savior. And we are going to come back. The problem that we have in this country and around the world is, well, let's start with this country. We have 50 United States. Well, we're not united. We're fractured. Everybody's right. operating their own best interest. Mm -hmm. Everybody's confused. Everybody's practicing negative reciprocity. And so nobody even knows where they can go, if they, have to, if they have to quarantine or not, who's going to enforce it. And then we have the, the European Union countries that don't want to see us at all. We're still banned over there. Right. So we got a ways to go. But when we do come back, leisure travel will, will lead the way. So obviously in all of this, a, a large part is, the, is the, or the companies that get us from place to place, the airlines. And I heard you speaking on uh, Valerie's show that... The, um, and the number was staggering. And just repeated for everybody listening to this show, they were losing how much money per week when this thing really took hold? Actually, Chris, it was how much money per day. Per day. Uh, yeah. American, United, and Delta back in March. Get ready. Fasten your seatbelt. They were losing $100 million a day each. Crazy. Now, in the most, yeah, but it gets crazier. In the most recent second quarter earnings report, Delta Airlines was actually boasting how well they were doing, and their, their metric was they're now only losing $27 million a day. <laughs> you know, it's so, all relative. <laughs> right. It goes back to the original Richard Branson quote that if you want to be a, become a millionaire, right. start an airline with a billion dollars, you'll become a millionaire. Well, <laughs> the really sad problem right now is we're going to become 
a nation where we define a successful airline by which loses money longer. Mm. You had pointed out something also in that interview, though. Now, there's there's a critical date that's coming up. I guess it's at the end of September, you were saying? It's right. a very critical date, and it's a, it's going to be a sad date. It's, there's a door, dark storm cloud looming. I'll give you the weather reference, Chris, sure. because that's the day that all the federal provisions on the CARES Act that require the airlines to keep all their people employed and fly those flights expires, mm. which means the airlines are going to be furloughing up to 80,000 people. That's pilots, flight attendants, gate agents, maintenance guys, frontline customer service reps. Uh, just a few hours ago, American Airlines announced they're already gonna be furloughing 17,000 of their employees on September 30th. And that's after they gave them the option of doing an early out package and retirement early. So we're just getting started here. Now, part of what you're hearing is the airline's attempt to lever that, to leverage that, to get Congress to give them another bailout package. Mm -hmm. And I understand the reason for that, because every airline looks at their forward bookings. You know what? The bookings for August should be great. They're not. Traditionally, they are. The bookings for September through the end of the year are traditionally terrible. Guess what? They are. <laughs> so in September, right after Labor Day, when supposedly everybody's back in school, which they won't, that travel, that travel number is going to go down. It's not going to go up. It's going to get worse. Do you think there'll He's, be some, some casualties out of this? I mean, in terms of airlines permanently shutting down? No, not in this country. I mean, of the majors, no. Uh, the majors have had great experience, uh, you know, filing Chapter 11 and still operating. Mm. Uh, and they'll continue to do that. I, they have a heavy debt load, especially American. But I do not think any of the major three or four, if you include Southwest Airlines in the United States, is going to cease to operate. If somebody very near and dear to you said, Peter, I want to go somewhere. I want to get on the plane. Would you have any reason to say, I don't think you should, or I think you should, or? Oh, I, I'd, give them, I'd give them a qualified yes. Um, I just flew out here two days ago. Um, it was my second trip in six months. It was my first trip back to my own office in Los Angeles in six months. Um, you know, I, I practiced the, the appropriate protocols. I did my homework. I'm not glowing in the dark or frothing at the mouth. So I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the answer is, if people are going to behave, if they're going to be responsible, if you're going to be responsible, then go ahead and go. Mm -hmm. Because you're such a recognizable face in the travel industry, when you got on board whatever flights you got on from LA to New York, I would imagine they were very happy to see you. Well, the gate agents certainly were. I, you know, there was a time not too long ago when I got on a flight, at least half the flight attendants said, hi, Peter, because I was literally living on those planes. <laughs> it was nice for me to see a couple of them that said hi and right back again, because they're getting, they're getting beaten up and, and it's tough. Now, in terms of coming back, the process, I'm sure, is going to be gradual. Do you think there, the tendency would be to have more domestic travel, people just traveling and staying within the country, see places they haven't seen before? Or do you think it's like as soon as Europe opens up again and other parts of the world open up, we'll be prone to go in that direction? Well, you'll have a, 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 a discernible group of elite travelers who will want to be first on their block to go overseas. But mm -hmm. for the most part, Americans are going to have rediscovered their country this year. Right. You know, they're, they're doing the road trips, they're going between one and 300 miles from home on one tank trips, and then kind of putting their foot in the water and then coming back and going a little further. Uh, you see recreational vehicle sales very much higher this year. Recreational vehicle rentals are through the roof. Although I do recommend if anybody wants to rent an RV, please take the driving test before you leave the <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, 
I mean, those right turns can be a bitch. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is, through no d design or intention, we're rediscovering our own country, and there's a lot to be said for that. Now, you personally, do you have a particular spot in all the time you've traveled around within the country that for the first time when you went to it, you did one of two things. You were either in awe or, or said to yourself, what the hell took me so long to get here? Is there a particular spot that sticks out in your head? There is, Chris, and it's going to surprise you. And it also surprised me. It was my own neighborhood in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I, because I was walking one to two miles a day on streets that I've lived in since I'm six months old, mm -hmm. uh, in neighborhood that I've been in since I'm six months old. And all of a sudden, I was discovering things I didn't know. And unbelievable discoveries, right? Uh, in, on Fifth Avenue, I'll give you an example. Uh, on Fifth Avenue and between 90th and 91st Street, there's a, there, on the wall in Central Park, as you're walking downtown, on the west side of the street, there's a bronze memorial. Now, I have passed that bronze memorial hmm. 5,000 times, but I was either in a cab or a bus or I was driving myself. I walked by it and I stopped and I read it. And I went, who the hell is this? And I went home and did some research. And the irony is, it happened in April. It happened on April 12th. Talk about irony. The memorial on 90th Street and 5th Avenue on the wall mm -hmm. is to somebody who actually uh, perished on the Titanic. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and that was the anniversary. But you have to read. I'm not going to tell you who it is. That's your homework assignment. Okay. You can't miss it if you're walking. But when you see it and you read who this guy was, oh, my God. You That's will not, you won't believe it. And, and no, I never would have seen that had I not walked. And I wouldn't have walked if we didn't have the pandemic. And I'm, and I'm now looking all over the place now for stuff. Isn't it's it really great. interesting? Some of the best journeys are really in your own front yard, not even your backyard, your front yard right here. You grew up in Manhattan, Chris. I know you went to school in the Bronx. Yeah, well, Bronx I'm, a, I'm a public school kid. I went to PS6 on 82nd and Madison. I went to Robert Wagner on 76th and 3rd. I went to Bronx Science. So I'm all New York City public school guy. And here's the crazy part. I've lived in the same building since I'm six months old. Oh, my goodness. Have, have you changed the drapes at least or anything? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> it's the consummate squatter. Apparently. No, no, no. But, but believe it or not, think about this. Up until March, I was only back there once every two weeks, maybe yeah. for a day, just to change clothes and get back out to the airport. So this has been a, an actually great time for me. I'm reading more books. I'm thinking more. I'm taking more time to, to process information. It's not a bad deal. You know, it's really interesting because uh, all of us, especially those of us who have lived, grown up and lived in New York our whole lives, we're always at breakneck speed. We're always moving faster. Uh, you know, when the sign says walk, we don't walk, we run. Uh, when the sign says don't walk, we walk faster. And that is part of the New York mentality. And right. I would say, you know, as we look for the glass to be half full, that these past six months, as tragic and saddening and heartbreaking as they've been, have given us the opportunity to slow down oh, yeah. and kind of get off the wheel and really look at life. I mean, think about this. I remember, and I know, Chris, you remember because we were both at NBC then, uh, right after 9-11, mm -hmm. everybody was in slow motion. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was walking down the street like this, and the cab drivers weren't honking their horns, and people mm -hmm. were being, well, that's what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it's going to come back to craziness again. We know that. But for the moment, 
I can walk up the middle of Madison Avenue, not the street, the avenue, right. and not worry. You know, right. uh, now it's a little disappointing to see all the retail disappearing yeah. and not coming back. And that's a little, that's really disheartening. Uh, and I worry about what's going to happen. Like right now, already in New York City alone, 1,000 restaurants have closed forever. You know, I, I really worry about the, the, the strength, the resilience. Forget about travel. I'm just worried about the resilience of the city. Yeah. I just heard today. It's our home. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Omni Berkshire is closed forever. Forever. Uh, forever. Ever. And How so about this? You know, we talk about hotels and we recognize those brands, the Marriott's and the Hilton's and the Hyatt's and the Sheridan's and all of those well-known brands. What most Americans don't realize is those brands don't own those hotels. They're mm -hmm. management companies. They may have equity in five of the 6,000 hotels, five of the 6,000 hotels they manage. So the real concern here now is not whether Marriott or Hilton or Hyatt's gonna go out of business. The owners of those buildings are going out of business. They can't maintain debt service. So right. not only is the Omni Berkshire closed for good, uh, which by the way, used to be an NBC hotel. I mean, I I know. Stay, yeah. right? We used to stay there. Stay there uh, the Mark Hotel is facing foreclosure just a few blocks away. And you're gonna see that the foreclosure rate of hotels in the United States before the pandemic was about 1.9%. Mm. You know how many hotels now have missed their debt payments and are facing foreclosure? Over 22%. Oh my goodness. Those are the owners. So it doesn't matter what sign is hanging on the wall if, if the place doesn't open. One of the things that, that really made you attractive to us to want to interview is that for the longest time, you are a confirmed bachelor. <laughs> and in the last couple of years, your life has changed at lightning speed, yeah. and you have married the love of your life. Uh, pronouncing your wife's name, is it Hande? It's Hande, yes. yes. Wow, I got it right. And, and she's from Turkey. And you're right. I was the longest confirmed bachelor. I was the last man standing. <laughs> and by the way, do I, don't regret, I don't regret any of those days. At one point in my life, I think I was an air traffic controller. I was having so much fun. But <laughs> the point is, uh, it happens when you least expect it. Yeah. And, and this was the perfect example of that for her as well, by the way. Mm -hmm. And the gods and planets aligned. And uh, there were paramedics at our reception because they were treating people for shock. <laughs> um, just in case. <laughs> just in case. But uh, yeah, we did it. We got married June 28th of last year. So we just celebrated about a month and a half ago our first anniversary. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Here's the question I have to ask the travel detective is what do you do for a honeymoon? Oh, that's an easy one. You know where we went for a honeymoon? We did two. Our first honeymoon, don't laugh, okay. Fire Island. Because, because that's that's where I've grown up and that's where I am all the time when I'm not on a plane or in New York. Um, and it was a wonderful week. And then the second honeymoon, of course, we did a second wedding in Turkey. Oh, you in Turkey? Sure. Yeah, ah. and we went back for that. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back a little bit in time because obviously everybody knows you now as Peter Greenberg and you know, the travel detective. You've done all of this traveling over the years. Can you trace back when did you have that moment where you realized I love to do this? I love to travel. I want to find a way to make a living traveling. Well, I can answer that question by telling you a story that was first told to me. And that is when I was six years, six months old, uh, I did my first plane ride on a DC six from New York to Los Angeles. Mm. 
And when I got off the plane, I still have it hanging in my office. The flight attendants or the stewardesses back then and the pilot gave me a certificate making me the very first member of the American Airlines Sky Cradle Club. Uh, oh my and, goodness. Uh, by the way, Chris, ask you what the benefits of those of that club yeah, what, is. What do you get? Do they rock you to sleep? Nothing, nothing, nothing. But <laughs> the point is, I came from an aviation family on my mother's side. My grandfather basically helped build Douglas Aviation. He then became the commissioner of LAX and built LAX. Oh my when goodness. I was growing up, I grew up with all these model airplanes oh, and wow. really wanted to go someplace. What turned it around for me was when I was in college at the University of Wisconsin, the Badger. Uh, that was the, co the college that was the most active, the, me the most violent anti-war college in America. And we were the focus of mainstream media. And I got a job at the very young age of 18 as the stringer for Newsweek. And the next thing I know, following the Mark Twain example of never letting school interfere with your education, I was being sent by Newsweek everywhere. The March on Washington and Kent State, everything. And when I was 21, they made me an intern in the, in the LA Bureau. And I was covering seven states in Mexico. And the answer and the long way to get to it is, I was the guy with the suitcase in the trunk of my car because I was always the first at the scene of something. Mm. And it dawned on me very early on in my career that nobody was covering travel or transportation as news, mm. right? The travel sections of the newspapers were just showing, you know, breast and large size two women with wine glasses clinking. Right. That wasn't helping anybody. Right. So using my access as a journalist at Newsweek, I thoroughly immersed myself in the process of travel by doing what? Getting trained in the cockpit getting trained in the cabin, getting trained on, uh, with the Coast Guard. Uh, so basically, I still carry cockpit and jump seat authority from the FAA. My bag tags say flight crew. Wow. So when I get on a plane, uh, if, I, if I follow the right procedures, even after 9-11, I'm in the cockpit. Um, and that allows you to have, and I train six times a year normally, not this year, but normally in the simulators. Wow. So while I'm not a licensed captain, I'm not a licensed airline pilot. I carry that authority because should I be on the plane and both pilots have the fish for dinner and it's really bad fish, <laughs> I can probably get you down. Uh, That's good to know. But from a more practical perspective, it allows me in that cockpit to ask the questions that I need to ask. Mm -hmm. And with them understanding that I know what the bells and whistles look like so that right. they can give me the information I need that I can there sh then share with the audience. And so once I started doing that, so I can go on the bridge of any ship and have a conversation with the captain who will know within 30 seconds that I'm not just a tourist and we can really learn from each other, especially me learning from them. Sure. And that's how I started doing it. So I started doing that probably 1975 wow. and I've been doing it ever since. So all I'm doing now over and above what I did at Paramount and MGM or all the other stories that I did that have nothing to do with travel, like OJ, and, and, and Patty Hearst and Gary Gilmore and Howard Hughes and all those big Watergate, I've applied those investigative techniques to travel and tourism. Peter, uh, we don't want to take too much more of your time while you're at home because we want you to be out and enjoying your neighborhood and your wife and everything that uh, is your life in New York City. Really hope that we could do this again down the road when travel gets back. But I also uh, wanted you to complete this because I thought it was a brilliant quote because uh, more from a humorous standpoint, and that is, 
you had said there are two kinds of luggage. <laughs> yes. There Fill are two kinds blank. of airline luggage, carry on and lost. <laughs> and uh, that's and very by the way, to prove that point, uh, with very, very few exceptions, and I, I can list them, I haven't checked a bag in probably 10 years. Sometimes I'll check a bag on a Sunday. And the reason I check a bag on a Sunday, that's the one day of the week FedEx doesn't work. <laughs> I have FedExed my bags for the last 11 years. Really? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I know the next question you're going to ask me is, how much does that cost? Exactly. Well, guess what? I'm not FedExing my dirty laundry to be there at 10 o'clock the next morning. Mm. I'm doing it three days in advance, as long as I know where I'm going, right? I don't have to go to FedEx. I have my labels. By the way, UPS will do it. Anybody will do it. Mm. And I fill out the label. I put it on the wrapper of my luggage. They pick it up. I get to my hotel. It's in my room. Really? Yeah. I saved two and a half hours of my life by not checking a bag. Sure. Right? Because I'm not schlepping it to the airport. I'm not waiting in one long line, then taking it over to the TSA line. And then what's worse is when I get to where I'm going, I'm not in that refugee center known as baggage claim, waiting, <laughs> waiting for everybody else who's waiting for their bags, and I'm stuck in traffic. Right. So I take the entire airport process and turn it on its head. When I go to the airport, I go to arrivals. When I, go, when I land at the airport, my car picks me up at departures. There's nobody there. Ah, look at this. Ah, these, these, and this is why I don't, you are the travel detective. And well, the whole idea is when it comes to the process of travel, I try to help people beat the airlines, the hotels, and the cruise lines at their own game, playing mm -hmm. by their rules. I'm not breaking any rules. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think Chris and I would be honored to carry your bags anywhere you wanted to travel. Really? <laughs> uh, because your stories are fascinating. And I'm sorry that we don't have more time. Chris, you want to take us out? Well, I just had one last question I did want to ask. Because okay. you are on radio, you have been on television, you've been in the print media, you've pretty much covered all the aspects of media. Talking about travel, which one in particular do you like in terms of your form of being able to express your thoughts and your ideas about travel? Well, it all gets back to the writing. Uh, I write all my own stuff and, and I report all my own stuff. So without that, it doesn't matter what the medium is. I've got to do that because I've got to stand behind it. And, uh, and that's what I do. I mean, it's all in the writing. And what worries me today about a lot of stuff that's on television is that people are reading stuff, but they have no clue about what they're talking about because they didn't write it. Yeah, it's a disconnect. And, it is. Uh, and that's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it would be like you giving me the weather report to read. Mm -hmm. God help us all. <laughs> Hey, look, as long as I now know that you can fly a plane that I'm on, you know, don't, yeah. I'm not worried about the weather anymore. It's all good. I didn't promise you, know, you a smooth landing, but a safe one. It's a safe one. And don't I'm have the fish for dinner. <laughs> food anyway. That's it. But Peter, thanks so much for taking some time. It was great to catch up with you a little yeah. bit. Hope we can do this again. And maybe as travel comes back in the direction we know it's going and, and you could guide us all a little more easier as we do go back to, I don't even want to say normal. I don't know what it's going to be, but into the next phase of, of travel. You got it. Stay safe, guys. And thanks for, thanks for checking in with me. You thanks too. for joining us and happy anniversary. <laughs> you got wow. it. All right. and, they, and they say it wouldn't work. I know. He's <laughs> a newlywed. Bye, Peter. Have a good day. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, as I said, or wanted to say, I would carry his bags anywhere and travel <laughs> with him. I mean, he has been anywhere and everywhere. And uh, it's great to have him 
buttoned down and locked down in uh, in quarantine for a few uh, a few minutes so we could talk to him about travel. Peter Greenberg, what a what a treasure. Yeah, when he put it in perspective about how many frequent flyer about 23 million miles. 23 million oh that's, that's unfathomable it's i'm all excited i have 125,000 and this guy <laughs> I know. 3 billion but yeah if we were carrying his bags our arms would be tired i could tell you that because uh, you know but i liked some of the insight he gave us about what he does with his luggage I, i'm going to look into that yeah ahead and uh, also reversing the arrival and departure technique at the airports i know this guy's on that I've heard him talk about before, and it is a great idea. Um, and I really hope once life returns to the norms and we can book flights and go places and do things, I hope we have Peter back on again because he's just such a joy to talk to. Yeah, he is the travel detective. Yeah, indeed. I think, you know, as, as we start to travel again gradually, because it's going to be a process, I don't think we'll be seeing a flip of a switch here and things go back. It'll be nice to get his perspective and insight and guidance because he really is the eyes and the ears and the nose, so to speak, for travelers uh, making it as easy as possible to get around. So it's going to be a whole new era of travel. And I would love to be able to talk to him again about that. That's for sure. As we, uh, as we get set to close down show number 23 here, we've had some great people on and we want to thank you for spending a little time with us. We really do appreciate it and hope you'll take the time to listen back to some of the other shows that are listed uh, on the website here. So you can kind of see what we've been up to and where we've been and where we're going. Yeah, check us out at BLEAV.com and Middle Age Warriors, and you'll see the list of all the shows. And to go back to some of them, we really did have quite a plethora, you know, and, and breadth of guests varied in interests and uh, things, you know, as we dealt with COVID, which kind of got in the middle of this show is just as we launched it. But uh, I think we've, we've rounded the bend and we've had some really interesting guests. And I hope you guys tune into that. Check those out. With that, I will say until next time. Sunshine always. Be good, feel good. Thanks for being with us. Have a good day wherever you are. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.